Thank you, Professor Chari, for joining us today and having us here at the Indian Ocean Marine Research Centre. Um, you've built a very large, reputable career in oceanography, and I've seen you on CNN and 60 Minutes, and um, you've published many, many papers. Um, I myself as a done a marine research um, student, sorry, yeah, marine research student, and seen a lot of your work and cited it in you know projects that I've done. Um, where did it all begin? What was the where did you start? Where did you study? Uh, interesting. Uh, it started with reading a comic. Reading a comic? Yep. What, what, when what I was comic? about 14 or 15, when I was trying to figure out, I wanted to be a scientist because my father was a scientist. Um, and I read this um, little article in a comic which says um, a career as an oceanographer. And that basically uh, attracted my attention, and that's what. So ever since I was 14 or 15, I wanted to become an oceanographer. Oh. Do, do you remember what exact comic, like the title of the comic and the uh, characters? It's or? a comic was Sad Sack. Sad Sack. And it was like a main character, and he started becoming... No, 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 no. It's basically, it's a comic, but, you know, you know the old Marvel-type things that you've got, these ones don't have now. So this sad sack one, but they actually had like a page we talked about future careers of yeah, what right. you want to be. Um, as interestingly, I actually then copied it and wrote it down in a little notebook, which I found a few months ago, or my wife found a few months ago, so I put it on Facebook. It's actually quite incredible to, to read what I wrote 14 years ago and then see what I have done since. Would we be yeah. able to, when we promote this podcast for the first one, would we be able to use that image? Yeah. Is yeah. that okay? Yeah. Awesome. Absolutely. That's really yeah. cool. Awesome. And, and where, did you, where did you study? Was it? Uh, that was in Sri Lanka. Uh, I should also say I was a, um, how would you say, an international swimmer. So, which means that I had the attraction to, to the water. water. Are you doing the rotness swim? I already done it. When oh, did you do right. that? Last year, uh, last year, year before. Wow. What um. So you're international swimmer in Sri Lanka. Yep. And so you're swimming for Sri Lanka. Yep. Wow. Did you, any Olympics or anything? No, no. Those days, Sri Lanka was not really into the Olympics, and my peak of the swimming career was sort of in between Olympics. Okay. And so then, you. And then I went to Britain to study, and in Britain. I suppose I was a university swimming champion for two years. So I won my events in for two years in the inter-university competition. So I captained my university, or two different universities. And wow. Hmm. A, lot of ocean, a lot of open water swimming? Uh, it's actually quite interesting. I was not allowed to do open water swimming in Sri Lanka because my father was terrified of the ocean. It's sort of a, uh, how to hmm. say more of a safety thing. So um, he could, he would say, you know, I could swim as much as I could want to in the pool, but not in the ocean. But when I became the captain of my school, I told him that, well, I can't actually get other people. There is a swim, which is like the Rockney swim. It's called a two-mile sea swim. Um, and then I told him, I said, well, I cannot get the rest of my team to swim without me swimming. So that was the only time I was sort of allowed, if you like, to train and swim in the ocean. And then, well, and then you're in a position. Where, oh, so, so I suppose you were already studying oceanography while you're doing the swimming as well, right? Well, 
of course, not in teenage years. I was in high school. So I was swimming for Sri Lanka when I was in high school. Okay. Right. And when you went to the universities, were you studying like marine science or is yep. it oceanography? Yeah, yep. oceanography. Yep. Oceanography and applied maths. Yep. Uh, and then when you were going from there at university, you did um, honours or masters and then... Um, so yeah, so I, I went to, well at that time it was University of Wales in Swansea. Uh, and that was the only place where you could do an undergraduate degree in oceanography in Britain. Okay. That's why I went there. I was there for 12 years. I did a bachelor's, honours, uh, master's and PhD, and postdoc, all there. What was your PhD on? Uh, tidal sandbanks and how they are formed. So it's a sort of a, um, interaction between tidal currents and topography. And yeah. how was there uh, a specific location in the Bristol Channel? So where the tidal, you know, tidal range is sort of ten meters. Oh, right. yeah, it's very large tides. Sort of interesting. So you know, that was in the uh, mid '80s or early '80s. At that time, you don't actually, um, we didn't have any computer models or anything like that. So my PhD was very much a field-based project. Okay. Yeah, uh, and interestingly, you know. Maybe 20 years later, I had a student do almost the same project, but using computer models and different instrumentation based in Shark Bay. So, yeah, I, I've just done a research project down uh, down Dunsborough and Toby's Inlet there, and mm -hmm. there was a the was sort of studying the effect of when the bar is open to yep. when it's closed, and a lot of the models were used uh, the scouring effect of how much you know to of well, the scaring effect of tides and all that mm -hmm. to keep the bar open and, and keep the, the estuary clean. Yep. Um, and a lot, of, a, lot of, a lot of the time, a lot of the things that were put in there, the bar kept closing and, uh, yeah, the sink. The, the, the problem, well, that's, it's, it's a different process. So what I'm talking about here is uh, uh, they're similar to the sandbars offshore in Port Geograph, sorry, in, in Geograph Bay. Uh, these are tidal sandbanks, so they're not attached to the coast. They're much further offshore. Ah, okay. Yeah. How far offshore? Uh, four or five kilometres. They're actually linked to uh, irregularity in the shoreline. So. Oh, really? They now have come into a thing in Britain or in northern area where you actually have their maybe, because they're shallow, stable, relatively stable systems, they're sort of thinking of putting wind farms on top of those as well. What's, is there a variation in the in the banks as well? Or? No, but you have to remember that it's a 10 meter tidal range. So, so at low tide you can actually walk on those sandbanks, oh. and at high tide there's 10 meters of water on there. Oh, so right. It's very, very different to systems that we have in, sure. in Western Australia, unless you go to the Kimberley. Yeah, in Kimberley you have, there, yeah. you have uh, similar systems. Yeah. So you said it was all field-based. When so, obviously, you only had a limited time to go out. Uh, oh, uh, it's uh, it's a completely different environment. So you know, uh, here we don't even look at a tide. Tide, we say, okay, we're going to leave tomorrow at six o'clock or seven o'clock or any time we want to do, we go out in the field. But you can't do that in an area where you have a ten-meter tidal range. No, it, it depends only with the tide. So. Often you go out at two or three in the morning. And what would you be looking at when you were? Uh, we used to put uh, moorings to measure currents, collect sediment samples, 
do um, seabed mapping, all sorts of lots of things. All right, awesome. Well, more on a basic level, uh, what makes a tide? So it's obviously the sun and the moon with centrifugal forces. And uh, well, for people like me that, because I'm I'm not studying anything to do with marine. Yeah, and you know I've spent a lot of time you know around the ocean, but as far you know from a I don't have a you know a, a scientific sort of understanding of what's actually going on. So yeah, um, well the tides are basically result from what we call Newton's gravitational theory, which says uh, two heavenly bodies. So let's say that is the Earth and the Moon uh, exerts a force between them. That's why the moon is actually trapped on the Earth's orbit. There's a force between them. Um, and so that gravitational force from the moon basically acts on the whole Earth. So water is, let's say, more pliable and will respond to that force and that changes the, the water level when the moon is directly above you, if you like. With the Earth, it sort of bulges. With yeah, so there Earth. is uh, two... Uh, bulges, um, so as the Earth rotates, there's two tides per day as the Earth goes through the two bulges. I actually explain this to say, imagine that the Earth is not covered by land or continent, so you basically got Earth which is covered mainly by ocean, uh, just water. And imagine the Earth is a soccer ball, and then in, if you can imagine putting that soccer ball inside a footy ball. Put the soccer ball inside a footy inside ball. Inside a footy ball. Right? Okay. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. then you have an oval part. Right? Yeah, yeah. So that's your bulge. Right? So you have the, 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 the soccer ball inside and then the footy ball has the two bulges on each side. Yeah, gotcha. So as the moon moves, those bulges move around and that's big bulges move more with the, oh. with, the, with the with the moon so the soccer ball static yep exactly and the soccer and the football moves, moves around yeah or you can you can think of the other way that the earth rotates right? sure it has exactly the same what's the variation in in the bulges oh uh, very small in fact so we call that the equilibrium tide which is maybe the maximum is about one one and a half meters okay. so that's the the primary but then if you have continental shelves and uh, topographic things which squeezes the water going in, it'll actually get bigger and bigger. So remember that our primary assumption for those bulges was to say there was no ocean basins. The, the soccer ball was covered uniformly okay. with, with mm. water, right? So the bulges are... That those bulges are relatively small, yeah. But in the presence of the continents, you have uh, increased tides. Wow, is there a if I have like a does the, does the does the force of the moon as far one of the force? But can you have like a tidal movement in any body of water? Does it have? Yes. So even on solid earth there is. So even if I and have... in the atmosphere there is. But if I have like a cup or like a, like a little dish, well, you know, if you could measure it on such a kind of atomic theoretically, scale... Theoretically, yes, but there are lots of other things which are more important in a cup. Yeah, So okay. in the tides, it's sort of a larger scale. We're yeah, talking sure. about 
something which is hundreds of kilometers. So in a puddle, it's not... No. no. <laughs> in a puddle, the surface tension is more important. Okay, so that... So the different other forces are important okay. than the tides. Yeah. All right, so there would be... So in, in all of the ocean sort of uh, phenomena, the, what we, we call the scale is important. So if you're looking at something which is one or two kilometers, so as you see, the sandbar or an estuary is different to if you're looking at Shark Bay, which is larger, and then on an ocean basin, the different forces become more important at different scales. Yeah, I see. Is that part of the reason why the Kimberley has like a 10-metre tide to down here? At uh, that's, that's nothing to do with the scale. It's to do with the, uh, the, the length and the width of the ocean basin. So in terms of the Indian Ocean, um, the, uh, the width of the continental shelf in the Kimberley. So it's not only one thing. There's a whole number of things that has to come together to make it bigger. So I actually say that the Kimberley tides are not extreme, but if you're, they're extreme in a, a tidal sense. So to have an uh, extreme or bigger than normal phenomena, uh, then it's not one process. It's a combination of lots of things coming together to make it bigger than anything else. Could you, you use... You could harness energy from the tide, right? Yep. As far as hydropower. Do you know if that's happening anywhere within Western Australia? No. It's not happening? No. Do you think it's you know, a good idea? The problem with the tidal energy in, in Western Australia is that where the tides are big, there's no population. Okay. There's no requirement mm. for uh, tidal energy. So you might be able to harness the energy in the Kimberley, which is not easy, but you know, imagine that we do. Mm -hmm. There is no immediate... Then we need to build the infrastructure to get to, it to... To get it somewhere else, and then it basically becomes a, a cost-benefit analysis. So yeah. you may get the, the energy cheaper, although to build tidal energy you still need a lot of capital equipment. Uh, but in the longer term, when they actually look at it, you know, how much are you willing to pay for your power? Mm -hmm. The developing the infrastructure sure. makes it prohibitive. So even still in the Kimberley, they've they've done that oh, maybe a few years ago, which basically came out that unfortunately taking an diesel browsers to each of the little villages and running generators was cheaper than doing anything else. Oh, really? Yeah. What about wave energy? Because we've got waves wave, here. Wave energy is the, it's the same. The problem with all of the marine-based renewable energy is that the marine environment is very, very harsh. Definitely. Mm. So you have the corrosive effect. Mm -hmm. You have the biofouling. What's biofouling? Biofouling means marine growth. So anything you put in the water will be covered in barnacles and seaweed, and you know and they get colonized and look like part of the ocean, and actually. and they will you know ultimately uh, become. So they all. Uh, so you can actually do, and then you come back to look at you know um, the 
the challenges of going out and servicing because of the weather. Sure, high upkeep, eh? So, so all of those three becomes very... So there has been a lot of proven systems, if you like. Uh, there's globally. one off Garden Island, right? And they're running yeah, but, yeah, but now that ran for a year, and then that is it's not it's oh, not continuing. So, okay. The what you unfortunately that although people have been working energy wave energy research for you know since the early sixties, yeah, right. There isn't a single system which is operationally running anywhere in the world. So you can really. See, so you can see that there's the challenge. Okay. So the the energy is yeah. there, but not the technology. Is is as as I said, the challenges of harnessing it is is not straightforward. So there is a so UWA is involved in a wave energy research center of Albany. So that was that's also the same. So they're just trying to figure out how to do it. How were they harnessing so the energy? So it's the same program? as the so it's with the Carnegie. Energy, so they have a sort of a, a boy which moves back and forth. It's the same as what they have in Garden Island. Okay. Um, so. And that just it moves a piston or something. Or? No, it moves a so it moves a boy back and forth, and that creates a pump which pumps water onshore. Yeah. Which uh, drives the turbine. Yeah. Gotcha. Cool. See, anything that you put in the ocean ultimately will be covered in biofouling. Yeah pieces will seize up because could you yeah could you make it out of plastic or something instead of metal or plastic pres- in the ocean you can't well no it, the problem is is that it is the heart so you need the uh be able to withstand all the ocean forces the big wave yeah, yeah. you know mm-hmm. it's a sort of a return thing right so you you want to design something which is you want to put a wave energy where the waves are the highest Right. Yeah, exactly. to, to to harness the Where best the amount of harsh. energy, but it also becomes the the harshest environment as well. So it's a sort of a catch twenty two. Yeah, full on. Oh, do you think maybe in the future something that potentially we might be able to figure out? Could do, but you still have exactly the same. Yeah. You know the the harshness of the system is not going to change, but it also becomes uh, the relative cost, right? The uh, so at the moment the the wind power and the solar power has made such a big inroads. So because they're on land and they don't have the same issues that I talked about in the marine environment, they become a cheaper option. Yeah. So it's 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 not about the cost. It's it's not about the potential and whether we can do it. It's yeah. also about how to deliver that in a cost-effective sure. manner to the consumer. Right? Sure, cool. So if someone comes and says, okay, I can, you know, wind power is 10% cheaper, people will always go to the wind power. Or, yeah. you know, so it's always a competing thing in terms of the renewables. Yeah. And because they've done such a big advances in, in the la- uh, on the, sort of, let's say, terrestrial-based systems as opposed to ocean-based systems, mm-hmm. Uh, so the ocean is always going to be lagging behind. Sure. Because for a wind turbine, you just drive a four-wheel drive and you know repair it. Yeah, right? yeah. Mm-hmm. Get in your sizzle lift. Uh, and, you you know, you can't do that in the ocean. You've got to wait for the weather to go down. You've got to go on a ship and then go and main. You know, it, the maintenance part and all of that is becomes just harder. Yeah.
I'm guessing the waves wouldn't always be be there either. Well, the windish is not there as well, but that's not the big issue because I think at the moment, before maybe 10, 20 years ago, biggest problem was to storage because with yep. renewables, you were not the the energy was available not necessarily when you needed it. Mm. Uh, but there's so much development in battery storage now uh, that you can store a lot of the energy in batteries. You know, that's what South Australia does and things like that. So, so there's been a lot of developments in, in one part, uh, but still not really in an operational way to do with, uh, with energy from the ocean. Cool. Interesting. On the topic of waves, would you know where like, potentially the biggest waves are on the planet? Like where like the biggest swells are generated? The biggest swells are usually mainly in the Southern Ocean, uh, purely because you have you know big storms. You know? So the low pressure systems sometimes are much less than even what you might get in tropical cyclones sometimes. And there's what we call an unlimited fetch. That means there's unlimited amount of ocean surface where the wind can impart this energy into the ocean. So how far would the fetch travel from the from the storm for a wave to does it build up to uh, a certain height? Yeah, but yeah, but the, it's the, basically the size of the wave, uh, the the storm. So the storm could be five hundred kilometers, a thousand yeah. kilometers, so they can be large. But if you look at Western Australia, I mean, we get uh, waves which are generated in the South Atlantic, so off Brazil. So it takes about two weeks for that waves generated off Brazil to come to Southwest Australia. Really? Is that where a lot of our swell comes from? Not a lot of them, but that's one source, maybe 20%. Yeah. Is there like a high pressure belt or a low pressure belt that sort of... No, it's just a topography. So basically those waves are generated and they come south of South Africa and back into Australia. Okay. So, for like Margaret River and the South Coast, there's always there seems to always be sort of waves. There's always waves that, because there's always waves in the Southern Ocean. Yeah. Okay. There's one storm system after another, so the storm belt moves up and down. Yeah. Right? So in winter it's higher. That's why we had bigger waves, but in summer the same system is still there, but it's much further south. So the waves are. Oh, so by the time they get here, is that why there's a smaller period? As no, well? the longer period. A longer period in summer. So, uh, yeah, so the waves which are traveling longer have longer periods. Okay, and... So the waves which travel the furthest, so the ones which may be traveling from Brazil, let's say, will have the longest wavelengths. Okay. So longest wave periods. So, you know, anything over 15, 16 seconds, the really low swell that's generated as far away as you can. And then, because, you know, when looking at a surf forecast, you know, if the period's higher, you know the waves are going to be heavier? Yeah. Why is that? Um, because the steepness is different, right? So if you're thinking, you're thinking of a surfing point of view, right? Yeah, exactly. So yeah. the surfing point of view, the, what is most important is what we call the wave steepness. So it's the wave height, divided by the wavelength, and the wavelength is wave period. Right? Okay. So the wave height over period is basically is your wave steepness. Right? So what we call, so if the wave height is larger and the wave period is smaller, 
So it should get choppy, much more steeper waves, right? Those, so in depending on where they break, those are the ones that you cannot, you know, surf or anything okay. like that. And then but the bigger the long, period is the... The bigger period means that they would actually break much smaller and, and slower, if you like. So the waves that when you say, oh, you really want the... Ideally, for a surfing, you need long, really long period waves. Yeah. Exactly. Huh. So low steepness waves is what you want. But then you want the offshore wind, but that's a separate issue. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Is, is there like a, a physical maximum height a wave can reach? Yes, one to seven. One, one to seven. Meters? No, no, no. That's So if you yeah. have a wave, wave height of one meter, then the wavelength has to be seven meters. Yes. It can't be less than, so that otherwise the wave will break. One to seven, other, and that's when it breaks. Yeah. When it's so you can be one to ten. So let's say if you have a wave height of one meter, ten meters, then that wave can exist. Right? And then the wave will. So break. If, if it's six, so if the wavelength is five, and the wave height is one, that wave cannot exist. It's unstable, so that will break. So one to seven is generally uh. the the critical one. Which is why when the waves are bigger, they're going to break yeah, further exactly. out. Yeah. Because the period gets smaller? As well, the problem is that the wave... Uh, it's not the problem. The, the wavelength, which is the, the, le- the, the distance between two peaks, if you like, mm-hmm. gets shorter as you come into shallow water. Yeah. So when they get shallower and shallower, it will basically come to that one to seven and then it will break. And then it will yeah. become unstable. Yeah. And oh, I had no idea that. I just saw it as like a you know, the wave comes to the to the reef and then it gets shallow and it breaks, you know. <laughs> well, the way that I explain this is the so the speed of the wave depends on the water depth due to friction, uh, due to various things. things yeah. right? So the shallower the water, the slower the water, the 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 wave travels. And will a wave? So, so what I actually say is, so if you're in deep water, so imagine that we, we all line up as a queue, right? People. And then we're all walking at the same speed. Then what happens? We don't actually, our spacing would stay the same, right? Sure. So imagine that you have that same queue and the people in the front starts to slow down. That means that the others will close the gap and will ultimately will fall over, right? They'll knock each other. Yeah, okay. So you take that analogy and put it into the ocean, but ocean, uh, we will not fall, right? And the water can't go anywhere else, right? Can only go up. Oh, so it builds. So, yeah, so it's like you're, you're squeezing and you look actually saying like a piano accordion, you know? You're pushing and then only thing, it's squeezing means that the water can only go up. So that's why as the water comes into shallow water, you, the wave height will increase because you're squeezing the water. Ah, uh, okay. So that would be like a set in a period of waves. It's not a... It, well, forget about the sets. They're yeah, just, okay. just just a single wave, but yeah. as it's coming through, the front of the wave goes into shallow uh, water, yeah. it slows down. Yeah. Right? But then the, from the back, it's still pushing at the... At the right. Just so, looking at the one wave. Yeah. 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 So yeah. then you actually have, so the ones in the front is slowing and the ones in the back is pushing. Yeah. So then it, it, it goes up. 
and goes up to only a certain level, and then it can only go up to a certain level, and then it'll break because it becomes unstable because that one to seven. One to seven. That's cool. So how, how are sets formed? Is it sort of similar? Sets, no, sets are formed by, so we talked about one yeah. wave. The sets are formed by the interaction between several waves. Okay. So then you actually have a period. So it's basically an interference pattern. Yeah. So you've got a period of high waves and low waves and high waves and low waves. And that basically happens when waves come from a very far away. So when you actually have long period swell, then the sets are a lot more enhanced. Yeah. And is there, is there sort of, there'll be patterns, obviously, as you said, period of high waves, low waves. Yeah. I mean, it's the, the, the wave groups are just basically a sim simple trigonometry. So I don't know whether, you know, if you add two sine waves, you get a multiplication of two sine waves. Mm -hmm. That's exactly what happens in a wave group. So that's what happens. So the waves, you know, the two waves become one. Yeah. And so, well, because because they're slightly different in period. So they, they sometimes will interact. Okay. So then they will come together. So they will be double the original one when they're perfect. Okay. And then at one time, they will cancel each other out. Because it's, they're, they're a bit random because in they're, their movements. No, so there's a phase difference. Right? So if one high is here and the other high is here, this is traveling a little bit faster. So when they come here, both are at a high. So then you've got the high period. Right? And then this one's keep going, and the low will counteract with the high, and then you have a low part. So it's an uh, interference pattern, basically. Cool. So what makes a rogue, like a freak rogue wave? Similar? As I said at the beginning, when you actually have a whole lot of different processes come together at one particular time. So oh, in Western yeah. Australia, a lot of the rogue waves or you know, unusual waves happen if you sort of look at the environment in rocky shorelines. Okay. Right. So rocky shorelines means that the wave will hit it and come back. Okay. So imagine you have a, a thing and there's one wave coming in as lots of waves get hit and then come back and they can all interact to get one big one. Ah. So that's waves going in different directions. Yeah. But the same wave coming in. Yeah, yeah. And but they get reflected from different points. So they will, they'll join ah. together at one particular instant in time. Everything worked out to be right. Yeah. And they all will add if you like. Okay. But then that's, that's, that'll give you the high wave, but the low waves will happen as well, but nobody sees them and we don't, you know. So a low wave? Well, you know, oh, okay. th there would be a depression. Right? The rogue wave that you're talking about is a high wave, right? In the same way, you might have a depression, yeah, but nobody yeah. actually is interested or Not even... Interested. <laughs> you know, so say that happens as well. Yeah. No, cool. Um, and tides, tides are called waves in a sense as well. Every, everyone's are waves. Every so? Everything's so a, a wave. Everything in the ocean is a wave. Doesn't matter. So there is. So the waves that we have been talking about that you see on the beach, we serve. We call them surface gravity waves. Yeah. Okay. Because they're on the surface of the ocean, and they're determined by gravity. 
And so in the tidal waves are astronomical because they're general, astronomical, right? They're astronomical yeah. forces. Yeah. yeah. So they're basically defined by the gravity of the Earth, Moon, and the Sun. So there are different kinds of waves. So, but they're still they're all approximated by a sine wave or a cosine wave. They have a wave height and they have a period. So the tides in the ocean have periods of 12 hours, 24 hours, etc. The tide waves that you're talking about in the beach is less than 20 seconds. So it's just basically the timing uh, of those. So even in those waves, as you know, we've got the sea wave, so we call it wave periods less than 8 seconds. We call them the sea waves, which is locally generated. Then the swell is between 8 and, let's say, 20. Then we also have a period, so the sets that we're talking about, if you look at how often the sets comes, we call those infragravity waves, and they're between 30 and 300 seconds, so 30 seconds and 5 minutes, which is the period of your sets coming in. So for every period you have, then you have the tsunamis and you have... Could you predict sets? When they're coming in, so if you are out surfing and you sort of looked at your watch and you sort of, are they in a it pattern? It depends. The what you have to remember that waves are there all the time. Yeah. The sets are there all the time. Yeah. And sometimes they're enhanced and sometimes they're not enhanced. Okay. But so they they exist in Western Australia all the time. There are sets. Yeah. Okay. But you may not notice them because there will be, let's say, a big storm comes along. When you measure them, you still see them. But then from an eye, you don't actually see them because it's overtaken by the storm waves, if you like. Okay. Does the tide... Because I've noticed a few times while you're surfing, surfing away, and then the tide will change, the tide will shift, and sometimes it, it changes, you know, the, you know, maybe the waves will just stop for a little while on, the, on like a... As soon as the tide starts going out again... Is that is that just me? It doesn't kind of, work. It do, doesn't it's, work. It's, like, it's, it's wrong. Doesn't work. The tide like that. changes in Western Australia or Southwest Australia over a twenty-four hour period. Right? So we have one high tide and one low tide per day. So when you're talking about the tide, it's not the tide. What so is what, it? what we talk about the tide is that due to the sun and the moon. Right? So what you just explained is not the tide. It's just the normal change. So you're more. Uh, explaining what a, a set does. Oh, that's a set? Yeah. But they can predict that, right? No. But you know when you look at the... You know when the, you know when it's going to be high tide and you know when it's going to be low yeah. tide? Yeah, but that... So if you actually say, this time of the year, low tide's in the morning and high tide's in the night. But when it swaps, there's no, there's no reason that the waves... So when you... The period where you're surfing, maybe one or two hours... Yeah. You will not notice any change in the tide. Oh, what? The water level, right? So what you call a tide is not really the tide. Oh, that's just been out. What is it? It's just, just the changes in other things. Right. right. Okay. So imagine, right? Our tide has got a 
a wave high. So we're talking about Southwest Australia, let's say from Geraldton to Esperance, right? So our water level, the change in the tide is about half a metre, right? And then that half a metre changes over a 12-hour period, right? So basically, let's say 6 o'clock in the morning, it's low tide. At 6 o'clock in the evening, it's high tide. It's only half a metre. Okay. So, so if you're surfing for one or two hours in between, the change in the tide is only about that much. But when it goes from being a high tide to a low tide... That happens over a 12-hour period. Oh, so, so it's not like a... Th- so yeah. when you're actually surfing, you won't even notice that there's high tide or low tide. Okay, so there's not like a movement of water you're doing. No, 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 no. So the, the, so the tide is low... And very slowly, over a 12-hour period, the water level will increase half a metre. Okay. That's your tide. And so when the tide comes in, it doesn't... It doesn't rush in, it's not a wave. And and it doesn't bring waves with it? No. Okay. uh, I've been wrong for a long time. (laughs) (laughs) Sometimes, I mean, when you go... When the tides are uh, bigger, so when you get, let's say, if you go to Broome, then there is... So in during the flood tide, when the tide comes in, the waves are bigger. When the tide goes out, the waves are lower because that's a different thing. But that, that is because you've got two tides per day. Right? And then from low to high, so 10 meters, will change over six hours. Okay. Right? So then the change in the water level is pretty fast. Okay. So that changes up. And when it actually goes... The other way again. Yeah, the, the next six hours. Yeah, and it actually swaps over. So basically what happens is that the waves can come with the tide. It'll get bigger. Oh, so it can do that? Yeah. But okay. that is only in when the tides are really large. Okay. So but down here, down it's, here you wouldn't notice it. Tide, tide has absolutely no effect at all. Okay. Spin out. What we call a tide, right? okay. in a scientific sense. People call the tide for different things. They say, oh, the tide's really running, you know, the last hour. That's, that's wrong. That's not the tide. It's just normal currents due to the wind and various things could be rips and, and things okay. like that. Right? It's not the tide. For ours, for our definition of a tide is that the tide, that's the movement that due to the moon and the sun. Is there points where tides, like for, I remember learning that in New Zealand, there's a high, high tide somewhere and a low tide. So it's like, it's a yeah, that's a different it. way. We call those Kelvin waves. Those are the winds which basically moves the tides in the ocean basins. Yeah, absolutely. And there's multiple points yeah. where yeah. the tides... We call those, yeah, amphidromic points, we call them. Uh, what are they called? Amphidromic okay. systems. Okay. And that's from that's, the that's, wind that's, and everything? That's the same like. thing of the developing. Remember I told you about the, the, the soccer ball yeah. and the footy ball, but when you actually look at include the ocean basins and the continents, uh, then okay. you actually so have these oscillations inside the ocean basins. That's what you're talking So how large are these? Oh, they're very large. Okay. They're ocean basins, so they're 5,000 meters, kilometers. Yes, okay. Hmm. Crazy. Um, should, we, should we move on from... From tides? From tides and waves. <laughs> A little bit exhausted that topic, I think. Um, so, well, well, the 
currents in the ocean. So the Lewin current would obviously mm-hmm. play a big effect in a lot of, lot of processes. Uh, it's for, for Western Australia, yes, the Lewin current is, is really important. Um, but the Lewin current is what we call is an unusual current. We should have a current, we should have cold water because we are on an eastern boundary of an ocean basin. So if you look at all of the other ocean basins, on the eastern side we have usually southerly winds, we have southerly winds, and cold water. Mm. So if you look at of uh, Chile and Peru, of South Africa, of uh, Africa, of California, all of those areas have a lot of fish and cold water. But because of the Lewin current, which is basically manifest because there's water coming from the Pacific through Indonesia into the Indian Ocean, we have warm water. So I always sort of say the nature has given us rock lobsters because we have a rock lobster industry because we have the Lewin current and we have no fish, we have no anchovies. So South Africa and Chile is basically anchovies. So why is it so different here? Because of the water coming from the Pacific into the Indian Ocean. Why, why, why does that current exist though? Why is, it's an unusual current, but... It it's exists because there's none of the... There's a connect, so if you look at around the equator, so that's the only opening between two ocean basins. Right? Oh, okay. So Atlantic and the Pacific, there's Central America, so there is no exchange of water. And between the Indian and the Atl- uh, Atlantic, that's Africa. So the only place in the world where there is water can actually flow through is between the Pacific and the Indian Ocean through Indonesia. So the water from the Pacific comes into the Indian Ocean and that water flows down the, in, uh, the West Australian coast. That's what the Lewin current. What would happen if that current stopped running? Uh, we will get much cooler, so we actually get, however much we actually say uh, we have not much rainfall, we actually get double the rainfall what we should compared to the same latitude in South America. Really? And because of the current? Because of the current and the heat, right? Because of the evaporation. Yep. Right? Our temperatures are five degrees warmer. But just general? By, 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 by that heat. Wow. So we'll be five degrees cooler and we get half the rainfall. Does it change in like an El Nino uh, or a London? Yeah, yeah, because yeah. it's connected. So, yeah. um, and then our fishery would be very different. We won't have rock lobsters. You like rock lobsters? Rock, rock lobsters? Oh, I like them. But we won't have them if there was no Lewin current. Yeah. We'll end up with anchovies. We'll have to eat lots of pizzas. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing wrong with that. <laughs> um, Except that the majority of the anchovies they catch is goes as fish meal. Goes as what? Fish meal. What, like uh, bait? No, for for feeding cows and pigs and. Really? Because there is not enough, they catch too much for human consumption. There isn't that much pizzas to use anchovies that you catch. Really? And they, and they feed them to pigs and cows? Yeah, they convert them into what we call fish meal, what they call fish meal. Is it, why don't they just catch less? This doesn't sound like super sustainable. That's not, uh, 
economics, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah Catch more sell more. Yeah, yeah. Heavy. Is there any um? Is there any reason why the current would stop? There's no reason. No. It had stopped in geological time when there was no opening between Indonesia, between the Pacific and Indonesia, but that was several million years ago. Okay. So we're safe. We get to keep the rock lobsters. Yeah. Would climate change, would that increase the flow coming down or is it going to... We don't know. You can argue both ways. Okay. What are your thoughts on climate change? Climate change is important, but it's more important to look at climate variability. What's that? So when people talk about climate change, we talk about a system going from one level to another. So let's say if you're looking at sea level rise. So at the moment we're saying that sea level rise happened, you know, the sea level may by 2100 increase by, let's say, one meter. I think it's about 0.8 at the moment, but one meter. So one meter in 100 years. So it sort of works out to be a few millimeters per year. So that's a very small, very small change every year. But what happens during an El Nino, La Nina, the different tidal cycles can change that in the next 10 years. The same change can happen in the next 10 years. If things come together. So if you think of it is that when we talk about climate change is that something which is changing very slowly. Right? So mm. now we talk about air temperature, it says oh the earth is heating up. So the last the heating of the last four years has been the highest. So we actually something's going, let's say, very slowly, but steadily and regularly. Is but it on a top linear? of that no, that's the climate change we talk about is a linear fit to a system. But on that linear system, there is a lot of changes as well. Okay. That's the variability that I'm talking about. Okay, sure. So it, when you have a period of lots of storms, let's say, people say, oh, it's climate change. But that's not really climate change. Climate change does contribute to it because it's gone to a higher level than it was. But it's more the variability, which is important. Do you think it's something that we're speeding up, you know, humans? Well, or do you think it's more of a natural phenomenon? At the moment, it's still linear because we haven't got records long enough to be able to define whether there is an exponential change or not. So exponential change means that it's just accelerating. So do you think it's an issue, climate change? Climate change is an issue, definitely. Yeah. But... It's it's how you look at it. It's a different system. Yeah. What does it mean for the oceans? Is it so the oceans are rising, but is it? But that's what I'm trying to say. The oceans are rising, and that rise is very very small. The rate that we are starting. But we have, you know, for example, I said half a meter. You know, we said 2050 half a meter. Okay. But that half a meter could happen in the next five years. Because yeah. if you have an El Nino, we have tidal cycles, and a whole lot of things can come together, as I said before. We can have that five meters happening in the next five years. Five, you know, the, the one meter could happen in the next six years, let's say. Right? So that's not climate change. 
that is the variability. As things yeah. happen. But people say, you know, I'll tell you an example. So what happens with the moon has a, a cycle which we call the nodal cycle, which is for a period of 18.6 years. So over 18.6 years, we go through that wave. So, but two or three years ago, we were on the low part of that cycle. And then we have in the next, um, in 2023, we will come to the high part of that cycle. So irrespective of what happens in the world in terms of climate or whatever, purely because the moon is orbiting in its normal way, our water level will rise by 20 centimeters, maybe right. 25 centimeters, irrespective of whatever happens. Right? Now that 20 centimeters is a lot more than that mean three millimeters per second a year that we're talking about yeah. in the mean sea level. Right? So when I said this, Maybe a few months ago, all the climate deniers come and say, oh, yeah, you know, university professors, I was called a data fraudster. You were called that? Yeah. By who? Oh, the climate deniers. Really? And that we manipulate the Australian universities lie about tidal data, which is not tidal data as well. So, but that is a fact. So if you don't understand what actually, so sea level is what we call about, Depends on a whole lot of various things. We talked about sets. We talk about uh, this 18.6 year cycle, El Nino, La Nina. So we need to understand all of those little bits, which adds up to make the sea level where the sea is when you go onto the beach. It's not only the tide. The tide only is a very small part. Right. That's that's what that's what I talked about the variability. So things that happen on a year-to-year interannual, it has a much bigger influence of influencing that particular year's water level than the little smaller Gradual. one. Right? Yeah. But then you have to think as well. Right? So what I'm trying to say is that if you take from 1900 to 2000, right, the 20th century, the water level increased by 15 centimeters. That's what the Fremantle Tide Gate says. What I'm saying is that in the next eight years, the water level is going to increase by 20 centimetres because the tides are going to change. So you're predicting that? Absolutely. That's a fact. It's It's not a prediction. As as, as the moon keeps rotating, it's going to happen. So that will happen. And then do you think a bunch of people will jump on that phenomena and say global warming yep and then the others will take the last one and say oh what are you talking about global warming the sea level has been decreasing oh global cooling (laughs) so 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 people this is where you have to understand so if you take the period right of the last five or six years our water level has gone down our water has gone down maybe 30 40 centimeters because in 2011 we had a really big La Nina. So the water level was really high. And so the water level has been going down year to year, as well as the tide has been going down because of the 18.6 year cycle. So if you take that eight years, I can show you, what are you talking about? The sea level in Western Australia has dropped by 40 centimeters. What climate change are you talking about? 
Right, and that's why you're saying you need the data going You back need the data to go back to, to long enough to be able to say. How far has the, has the data Well, we are, we are lucky. We, we can, with Fremantle, we can go back to um, 1900, so before, you know. It's the longest sea level record in the Southern Hemisphere. Really? You know? So it's really right. good to actually... Why Fremantle? That's when the Fremantle Harbour was built. Oh. So they started recording it in 1897. So that's longer than the that moon the moon cycle of eight yeah, yeah, years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's why and we can actually understand and figure out all of those. That's what we've done. Ah, that's okay. what we can definitively say. This is what's going to happen. Huh. And is it listen? Are you guys listening to it a lot, or is it still? Uh, again, it, people, you know, it goes in the news sometimes, and then I get bombarded with sea level. You're a liar. How can you say this, etc., etc. Uh, it's sort of more of education, right? Yeah, it's more okay. educating the people about exactly. It's not only about climate change. There's, there's yeah. The variability is a lot more important than the actual change itself. People are just looking at, you know, emissions. You know, looking at one. That's factor happening. That's and then up, looking yeah. at without actually. Looking it's a, it's at a, yeah. So you know, you're actually saying here is a a, a cause, emissions. And this is the response of yeah. the Earth. So, yes, there is. So if you're looking at what happened at 1900, what might happen in 2100, yes, you can say that's going to change. But in between, there's lots of other things which happen year to year that you have to take into account. Is there a place, like, do you know where their whereabouts, they have the oldest records of... You know, water levels. Is there? Have you looked at studies from other places yeah, where the records are? I mean, the I can't remember. There's records which goes on to about 1600, 1700. And what do they show? They all, well, they all show an increase. They all show an increase. The 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 problem. So remember, we were saying about there is linear? this linear change. Right? Yeah. So if it goes linear change, then our sea levels should not increase. There has to be a change in, in that curve, if you like. Yeah. So we did a study a long time ago to say, not a long time, maybe five, six years ago, to say when would we find, detect that change. You know? So for all the tide gauges in the world, which is long time, we say we won't actually see that up until about the next decade. So 2030, we may actually say where the water level is going. But for Southwest Australia, because our water level changes so slowly, and also there is so many different compounding things, we may not be able to say that till 2070, for example. So there's a lot of other variability which happens as opposed to that slow change, if you like. But of course, if things happen and the... Uh, glaciers melt quicker than expected, then we may find that the water level is increasing higher, right, at a higher rate. But again, you still have that 18.6 year cycle. So the water level might be increasing, but the tidal makes the water level go down. So they will cancel each other and you won't say anything. But yeah. then, when the tide changes, both will be going higher. So then you have a period of high acceleration. Apart from rising sea levels could you say the climate variability is changing as well would it be would there be an increase in like in el nino events or 
hard to know. You know, it's hard to know because yeah. we don't actually have because El Niños happen so in, in not rarely, but you know, four to five year cycles, and we only started looking at them only since the the sixties. You know, okay. basically. So we don't actually have a good record of what actually happens and the extremes. Yeah, okay. We're only beginning yeah. to understand those systems. Mm-hmm. Would you be able to describe an El Nino event? Um, do you know, like, I was about to ask you yeah, if what an El Nino is. I've heard the term being thrown around a lot. Well, do you know what, what El Nino means? Nope. Uh, not at this moment, no. <laughs> so it's uh, Spanish for little child. Really? Huh. So sorry, boy child. Oh, I did know that. So El Nino is boy child, and then La Nina, which is the opposite, is little girl, right? Opposite of boy child. So why is it called a boy child? I don't know. I was trying to figure that out then. Okay. So so what happens is that, as I said, you know, when we're talking about the Lewin Current, the water from the Pacific comes through Indonesia into the Indian Ocean. So we have the trade winds in the Pacific, which push the water from South America to Australia, right? Or Papua New Guinea, across from east to west. So that's the trade winds. So if you look at the Pacific, around Peru and Chile, you have cold water, because that water comes from Antarctica, and then get pushed along the equator, and then we have warm water in the, in the western part of the Pacific. So the wind is pushing it all the way. In there. So basically the water level becomes higher on the western Pacific compared to the eastern Pacific. When El Nino happens, they don't know why, those trade winds weaken. So the currents which go normally from east to west reverses, goes the other way. Because the, the trade winds are not there to hold them up. So that means that that warm water travels along the equator to the east and comes on to Peru. So it reaches Peru about Christmas time. And cold water in Peru and Chile is the one which basically makes their fishing industry. So in the 50s and 60s, 90% of the economy of Peru was fisheries. But when El Nino happened, this warm water came around, basically shut down the fishing industry. The fish will leave. There's no fish. They don't leave, they die. Oh, they die? Well, they they, they cannot reproduce. Oh, well. So the fishing industry, but that used to happen at Christmas. So they said that was the coming of boy child, El Nino. Coming of boy child. Yeah, because it happened, you know, coming oh, of Jesus. Of course, of course. Right? Yeah, right. Uh-huh. Huh. So, so why, why La Nina? Is it, is it well, La Nina is the opposite. So when the trade winds very oh, okay. becomes really strong, then you have more water going from east to west, a lot more cold water of Peru, really good fishing industry. Yeah. But then that's the opposite. Yeah, okay. So the coming, it starts off with the El Nino coming of Christ's child, which yeah. shuts down the fishing industry, but then they said, okay, the opposite of that mm. is La Nino. And a, a lot of storms are associated with El Nino as well. 
It's a whole... You, you can't say that. It dep- you have to actually say where. Okay. Right. Well, so, Hawaii so, gets a lot of swell, doesn't it? Yeah, but then Hawaii might get a lot of swell at... I can't remember which... Part, uh, let's say Hawaii gets more waves in El Nino. We'll get less wave in La Nina. Yeah. Right? It'll be opposite, let's say, for Oregon. <coughs> yeah, right. So it's just a shift of the weather pattern. It's not that one place will get... So you get one place will get high and the other place will get low and they will be shifted. Oh, right. Right. So it's not as if you're saying it's, it's, the swell is less overall. That's not the case. It's just the pathways are different. So during, I can't remember which way, but El Nino, you actually have more storms hitting the northwest of the U.S., so Vancouver, Seattle will get much wetter, while the Gulf states will be drier. Right? And on the opposite phase, you'll get cooler, dry areas in the north, while wet areas in the south. So in Western Australia, we get less rainfall for El Nino, get more rainfall for La Nina. And cyclones in West Australia, in El Nino, so we generally get more? We, we get generally less. less because cyclones. imagine, so for a tropical cyclone to form, you need to have sea surface temperatures generally above about 27 degrees. So when you have a La Nina, remember what we talk about La Nina, there is very strong straight winds, so it piles up more warm water on the western part, so there's more warm water coming through from Indonesia. So in the north, we have more warm water, means that there's more probability of tropical cyclones to form. When we have uh, El Ninos, remember that water off the western Pacific has now gone over to the Peru. We have less water coming through from Indonesia, that means that our water in the north is not as warm, so you have less cyclones. Okay. It's very interesting, the climate and atmospheric mm. changing of the ocean. Um, what do you know about the Bermuda Triangle? Nothing. Nothing? It's not a... Myth? It's a, it's a myth. It's a myth. Yeah. Oh, that's no fun. <laughs> well, that's what I believe. Yeah. It's a myth, well, and just a bunch of... Yeah, right. Well, I mean, there are unexplained things, but it's not you know, necessarily... Uh, it's, it's an area which is ne- you know, notorious for big storms and unusual storm systems. So... But what you have to remember is that in all, we have to go through time. When did you hear that there was something lost in the Bermuda Triangle in the last 20 years, 30 years? Yeah. I don't remember. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. Why is that? Because they're not flying over it anymore. (laughs) Because we have much better predictions. Yeah, sure. Now we can actually predict when those storms will happen and when... So that's the difference that... 50, 60 years ago, people were flying and they didn't know what the weather was going to be. They didn't know what was happening. Yeah. So you have an area which 
in relatively, let's say, uh, populated. Right? So there was a lot of, let's say, activity. And then you would actually have go into lots of storms and various things that people didn't know about. Right? Mm-hmm. The, the the Caribbean and the Bermuda Triangle in terms of the winds and the not that much different to the Northwest Shelf, right? But forty fifty years ago, how many people went out not on any. a boat in in that area? There was virtually no activity. Mm-hmm. Right. Okay, now there is a lot of activity because of oil and gas and things like that. Mm-hmm. But we have much better predictions. We can actually oh. tell people to evacuate, don't go there, and things like that. Yeah, right. This is the, the same same thing. So, you know, as I ask you the question, when did you, you know, have you heard about it? Because people don't publicize it anymore. No, in, fact, in fact, there was an event a few years ago. This is, uh, I can't remember. It was a ship which sailed from one of the um, eastern seaboard of the U.S. and it was going down to Brazil, you know. And uh, the captain was told not to go. The crew told him not to go, but he was adamant he was going to sail, and he sailed. And uh, he didn't take into account the the storm warning. And he walked straight into a storm, and the ship was lost. Yeah, right. Right. So the predictions were there. The predictions were there. He didn't take it. Now, did any that ship was lost in the Bermuda Triangle? So did anyone actually say, "Oh, there is a ship being lost in the Bermuda Triangle"? No. Yeah, right. Because they could explain what happened because they knew where the ship was. They knew where the storm was. They can explain it. It wasn't this taboo, weird thing anymore. Exactly, because you could explain it. Yeah. Right. So the Bermuda Triangle, with all of this, so a lot of the things that I do, in a way, I actually talk about. People have a fascination with unexplained things. Right? Mm-hmm. As I say to people, what is certain in life? What are two things which are certain in life? What are certain in life? Yeah. Being born and dying? Yeah, well, you're already born. Or well, dying one? Dying is one. Second. Um, breathing? I don't know. The truth. Sorry? The truth? Nope. Paying taxes. <laughs> <laughs> There's only two things certain in life. You're going to die, and you're going to have to pay taxes. Right? So people know that they're going to die, and but their people are fascinated by the unknown ways of dying. So people are fascinated with tsunamis. People are fascinated with shark attacks. People are fascinated with missing aircraft. Right? So those are unexplained things about people dying Mm -hmm. because we cannot explain it or we can't predict it. Mm. But do we actually have ever think about getting in a car and driving? No. Do we actually cross the road? Many people die in car crashes, but we never actually take it. If you look at the amount of people who die in car crashes, let's say, as opposed to shark attacks. What has yeah. a bigger explosion? Like shark attacks. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah, and there's, I mean, there's only a handful a year. If that. Yeah, yeah. Right. if that. So, you know, but nobody, 
because you know people will say, "I will not go into the ocean because I might get in attacked by a, by a shark." Right. So, and then, but we never said, "Oh, there's 400." You know, or let's say 200 people died last year on car crashes on the uh, on the road. I'm not going to drive. Mm. Right? We never think that. Because you I had I had someone telling me the few years ago, he said, oh, you know, I live like five minutes from the beach, but I will never go to the beach because I'm scared of sharks. I said, I said okay, so where do you live? In Butler. So you commute to UWA? Yes. So that's one and a half hours each way. So three hours on the freeway every day. And that's not a risk. But going for a swim is a risk. I think it's just like, because it's so ferocious being bitten and... No, but it is like the that. unexplained. Yeah, right? yeah. Yeah. So it's a, it's, a, it's the same thing. No. So if you go and uh, looking at, let's say, people saying Bustleton or Dunsborough, right? So you tell them because they built, you know, these nice houses really close to the beach and that's the lifestyle, that maybe 30, 40 years' time you may not have your house because ultimately the sea levels will rise and your house will be flooded. And they will say, oh, no problem, we know that. And we accept that. Is that going to happen? Yeah, that could happen. Yeah, absolutely. I told you, it's a very small change. Yeah, yeah. And then on top of that variability, yeah. it could happen, right? Yeah. So that's, yeah, I'm not saying it will not happen. I'm just saying that we have to have a... Build on hills. Build on, yeah, exactly. <laughs> but if you tell them, so for that they accept. Right? So in effect, they accept the certainty. Because they know it will happen in... 40 years' time, and then they may not be living, it's not their problem, blah, blah, blah. But then on the other hand, you tell them that, well, you know, the same thing might happen if a tsunami happens. But the, the probability of that tsunami happen may be once in 10,000 years. Mm. Then they get very worried. Mm. So, so they unexplained and low risk right? so certainty they can accept the uncertainty so the probability of it happening is it may be once in every 10,000 years right? so very low but they're worried yeah. because it can happen tomorrow there's yeah. been a lot more earthquakes well there's no. sorry a lot larger magnitude no. earthquakes recently no no it hasn't been no it's always been happening yeah no it's just that you know more about it well, the one, no, sorry, the ones that are happening recently down south. The They're not bigger than anywhere else, if you plot them all up. They're not? Yeah. No. Okay. Earthquakes are not getting bigger and bigger. No, no way. Okay. Not good. the ones like in the... Down anywhere the in the world. Hallway? No. Nowhere. Anywhere in the world, they're not getting bigger. No. no. Okay. Why do you think the biggest, biggest earthquakes happened in 60 and 61. Yeah, right. So this is part of... The education and the media. Yeah, It's the same thing I said. You know, this is tsunamis are in that same category as unexplained, right? Before 2004, before the Indian Ocean tsunami, nobody knew what a tsunami was. Nobody even worried about a tsunami. And it would not be in the newspaper as being a big earth. You know, yesterday there was a tsunami. There was an earthquake in New Caledonia, 7.5 earthquake, and there was a tsunami about this much. Oh, yesterday? Yesterday. Oh. So, 
It's in the old newspapers. You open any of the newspapers, it is there. Tsunami and earthquake, blah, blah, blah. Before 2004, you wouldn't even see it. Right. Yeah. Exactly the same with the shark attacks. Right? Yeah. 20 years ago, you would never hear a shark attack in Florida or somewhere. But now, anywhere in the world, there's a shark attack, you will hear about it, because that's what the public wants to know. Hmm. On the note of unexplained things, you did a lot of research in finding MH370. Mm -hmm. That's another one. It's exactly the same. Yeah. The the other day, those people were sort of... Somebody actually, one of my former students, says, Acharya, why do you always talk about death and destruction? I said, well, you know, all my other death and destruction, let's say, what I do is a very, very small component of what I do day to day. But people are not interested in what I do day to day. The newspapers doesn't sell. The newspapers, as I said, for that same reason, human nature... They're more interested in finding out the unexplained, the ones which scares them. That's what the journalist wants to know. That's what the general public wants to know. That's why there is an interest. Right, yeah. So all all of those, as I said, you know, talk about tsunamis, hurricanes, shark attacks, uh, MH370, all of that, rip currents. All of that, people are fascinated because they cannot explain it. Spin out. Mm. Um, you predicted where where that bit of de- debris got um, mm-hmm. found in, is in Africa? Is it? In Reunion yeah. Island. Reunion Island. You predicted, you told them to go there, right? Not for the Reunion Island, because what happened with that... <sighs> Remember I told you about the El Nino and La Nina? So the water from in any of the ocean basins, they flow along the equator from e- east to west. Mm-hmm. Right. So Pacific Ocean is the same. The Indian Ocean is the same. Right. You don't need models or anything like that. You can say if, the, if anything... So if I put anything the other side of Rottnest, right, they'll end up in Madagascar. I think there was a boat... Madagascar? Yeah, there's a yeah, boat it's, in... Um, uh, boat in Geraldton ended up in Madagascar. Yeah. So anything which originates from Western Australia, not outside the Lewin Current, because right? the Lewin Current will bring stuff. Yeah. All of that will end up in the Western Indian Ocean, Africa. So you don't really need a model or anything like that. So for me to predict, that's our general oceanography 101. Right. That's yeah. where it will end up. You don't have to predict it. That was what should be accepted. Okay. But what happened in this case was that the advisors to the Australian government, the uh, ATSB, predicted in their models that stuff will end up in Indonesia. Why? Why? If you're saying it was a basic oceanography, let me explain. So why I actually say, so the basic oceanography, and then remember I said that the water comes through Indonesia mm-hmm. and makes the Lewin current, but the water which comes along Western Australia is it's about 10%, 15% of what comes through Indonesia. Most of it goes across to Africa. Yeah. Right. So the water coming from Indonesia goes what we call the South Equatorial Current. 
So that current, so anything gets up from, say, latitude of Perth, up to there will go to Africa. So when they said us, I said, no way that can happen. It, anything can't cross that strong current no. to get to Indonesia. If anything gets up there, it will end up in Africa. So I was very curious why. Yeah. So, but of course, you know, people don't listen. Sit there, so. Yeah, I just don't understand why they wouldn't be listening to you. And because they have the unfortunate thing is that they have certain protocols, so they actually have contracts and um, exclusive contracts. So they can only talk to their own advisors. They can't talk to anyone else. All right. But that sort of makes re- like researching and finding. Unfortunately, that is the, way is the way it is. So when the flaperon was found, they so they were figuring out, oh, what? How, how can that happen? Right? Yeah. So and then of course, we were getting publicity saying, you know, we had predicted it and we can actually show what were. So then they were sort of went and looked at their models, and what they did was they had switched, they had set the winds wrong way. They have switched the east component and the north component. How can they get that wrong, though? Well, <laughs> it's that's see if I if if I had that result that if my model said it went to Indonesia, I would say I will not accept my model. Yeah, you know okay, what I mean. Agree. Yeah, you. I, I will say, well, look, there is this barrier, right? There's no way you can cross it, so I will not accept this solution. Yeah, I will go and recheck and recheck. So before you spend the money and go no, and do it. before I put my, uh, not even spend the money before I actually put my reputation on the line sure. to say it's going to end there. I said, well, no, oceanography wise, my knowledge tells me that this is wrong. Okay. Yeah, right. and then I would go on to say why is it wrong, mm-hmm. but they never did that. Yeah, right. That's a little bit suspicious. But <laughs> are you still looking for the plane now? There's, is it? Well, I mean, we boats? can't actually do. If you probably saw the um, the news last week, there were a few few more um, five pieces of debris which has been found in Madagascar was handed over to Malaysia last so, week. Last week. Yeah. But they were found a long time ago, but they were just okay. handed over oh, last yeah, week. So, yeah. But those are in locations that we were telling people to where to go and have a look. Mm-hmm. Mm. Uh, is there a boat out there now? Uh, no. no, there isn't. Well, do you think they'll, they'll revisit it? They'll keep looking? <sighs> Hard to say. Hard to say. The, the problem is, is that, well, you know... Uh, there's this company called Ocean Infinity that everybody says that, oh, maybe they can actually go back and do it. But remember that they already spent about $100 million of their own money and didn't find it. Right? Oh, wow. so, they, they spent their own money trying to find it. Yeah, because they, they, do, they did it on the condition of what they call no find, no cure. Oh. Right? So they actually, oh, that's right. So they, if they didn't find it, they didn't get paid. Right? So they had to put out the money up front and and then if they find it, they they get the money. If they don't find it, they don't get the money. Wow. Uh, so that's <coughs> so. But I mean, they do it for they did did it for different reasons because they actually basically proved 
their technology. So, uh, so, and then, you know, at that time they had one ship and eight AUVs, I think. So there's, they announced yesterday that now they have three ships and 15. So basically because of that advertising, if you like, That's they're getting more jobs. So, okay. in, you know, so it's worthwhile for them. So is it yeah. worthwhile for them to go back and redo it? But there's a couple of problems with that, is that when, when they did the search last year, there was sort of consensus roughly between oceanographers, the um, and the what do you say plane you know atmospheric and the flight people that roughly where it should be where they should be looking. Are you yeah. advising at all still? Yeah, yeah, with yeah. Where I mean, we're not. There is yeah. nothing happening, so we're not advising any, anyway. Yeah. No. Uh, but the problem now we have is that the flight people, let's say, saying that they should be going further north. Yeah. Yeah. While the oceanographer is saying no, so you should be looking at the same area but in a bigger range. Right? That's what you're pushing. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Okay. So now there is a where we all agreed where to look. Now there is a divergence of opinion. Mm -hmm. So somebody like Ocean Infinity comes and sits on the table and says, you know, I say go here and somebody says go there, who they're going to believe. It would be quite frustrating sitting at that table and there's... Oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I couldn't hear it. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, it, but, you know, it's not my money. Yeah, you can right. only advise yeah. and they actually tell them what best to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, and unfortunately, sometimes it happens that the people who shouts the most gets away, and then you sit back and say, "No, you shouldn't do that." Yeah. But so um, the the thing that you actually have is that, from an oceanography point of view, we basically are more or less saying roughly the same area. Mm. The avionics people, as I call them, they said, oh, it should be 38 south, and they went and had a look. No, it wasn't there. Oh, we recalculate. Have a look at this area. Oh, no, it's not there. Oh, okay, uh, we recalculate. You know, they have not been consi consistent. So every time they actually have pushed to go and look at an area, oh, no, it's not there. Oh, we made a mistake. How about this? So they, okay. they, they have been, un you know, sort of guessing and waiting to go and see whether it's found or not, yeah. and if it's not found, oh, maybe it's there. So from their point of view? Well, yeah. from an oceanography point of view, we haven't really wavered to say it's in there. So in fact, we're saying that where they want to go and look is absolutely not possible. But you're both using different methods of predicting no, where... No, we, we are not looking at different... We're lo looking at different aspects so we are looking at to say if the plane crashed at a particular location, where would the debris end up in, mm -hmm. and how quickly it'll get to the okay. Africa. Right? They are only looking at what happens in the ocean. They completely ignore what we are saying in terms of the oceanography. So they're not looking at it from what happened before. They they are looking at what happened in the air. Yeah, sure. Right. Yeah. But they completely ignore what happened. In the ocean. Yeah, okay. And that's, you know, that's, that's where the difference. Yeah. Yeah. It seems like there's more kind of. There's more divergence between the two yeah. ideas, right? Because they completely ignore what we say. Mm -hmm. Yeah, right. 
So, so because of that difference in opinion at the moment, I mean, if I was Ocean Infinity, I wouldn't go anywhere near. Where they're, where where they're looking? Hmm? You wouldn't no, go? In, in terms of even initiating a search. Oh, you wouldn't? No. No. Because, you know, unless they get all of us into a room and, you know, it's up to them to do that. Yeah. That's yeah. what they did before they started the last search. Do you when, think that'll happen? That, that was the one last year? Yeah. Do you think that'll happen again? They'll get you all together again? and I don't know. Depends on how much motivation they have to do it. I mean, mm. Why mm. should they do it? Yeah. You know, spent so much money on it. They, they, there's, you know, 100 million is not that much. You know, it's not a small amount of money that to overlay for a company. Mm. Um, but they, to a certain extent, you know, they found the submarine, so now they got uh, runs on the board. They found a submarine. So there was a submarine in Argentina which went missing. So they, from uh, two is it two weeks ago, they've yeah. actually found it. Oh wow! So they found it at the bottom of the ocean. So now they're looking of how to maybe salvage it and things like that. How so deep is it? Ah, uh, I can't remember. Yeah. So. Uh, I think it's in 400, 500, I can't remember. Okay. But anyway, you know, from a salvage company sort of thing, yeah. they found it. So they got the publicity, they got runs on the board type thing. Yeah. Uh, so I, from a company point of view, what is their business plan? Yeah. And uh, what's their, what they're going to get out of it by mm. coming mm. and looking at it. You know, they're not obliged to anyone, in essence. Mm. Yeah. So it's benefits of being an independent company. Mm. Yeah, exactly. Um, hmm? well, I'm just getting there. Uh, a couple of questions with marine marine pollution. So mm-hmm. Coven Sound sort of it's got a lot of ships, um, you know, releasing their ballast and all that. Is the the border? But not in COVID sand. No, not the port. No, ships cannot release ballast. Oh, they can't. Ports. No, no. no and it's all done out. They have to be. Yeah, they're much in deeper water. And is that is it a and is it an effect because it's, with with the ballast? There's water, so is much it? rules and regulations of that because of introduced pests and a whole lot of things. They're very very tightly controlled internationally in terms yeah. of the ballast water and stuff. Carbon sound to a certain extent, you know, it's, you have people have to realize that it is an industrial area. Right? Yeah. So, I don't know, 20, 30 years ago, we as a, I don't know, community government decided to develop Quinana, right, as, a, as an industrial area. So, you cannot actually have a, and, and then we have a naval base, we have uh, build ship channels, we allow... Uh, mining for cement and, and, and a whole lot of various things. So you cannot expect with all of that activity to to retain a system. We used to directly discharge sewage into Covenside through Woodman Point. Mm. So in terms of a history, we have developed that area. It is not expected to be pristine. No, no. Because there, there was a there was a big fish kill uh, in 2015. Yep. I think it was over two. But you will always have fish kills. Right. Fish kills can be natural or unnatural. 
No, there's fish kills happen in Broome, not due to pollution. As I said, they're extreme events. Certain things come together to happen. So when the system is degraded, let's say, uh, lack of a better word, then you actually have more instances of fish kills. You know, the Upper Swan had lots of fish kills. Generally, those fish kills though could be explained through certain eutrophication. Like, Virtually everything we can. Yeah. Why does fish kills happen? Well, there can be many reasons, as, as you just said. There's only one reason. May, well, two main reasons. Two main reasons. Yeah. What do you think? What man-made and natural, or? No, I mean, ultimately, what uh, what sustains life? Oxygen. Exactly. So the only is reason that fish kills happen is two things. It's either disease or lack of oh, oxygen. Yes. That's the only reason. Okay. So the lack of oxygen can be natural. In the world, there are so many oxygen minimum zones. They're healthy ecosystems, but they're naturally low in oxygen because there's high productivity. So the areas of Oman and the Arabian Gulf, but huge fish kills and low oxygen because of natural systems. So it can happen naturally, it can happen by series that we've actually introduced that artificially will change the uh, oxygen system. So in the upper swan, we put in so much nutrients that the sediments take up so much of the oxygen or the bacteria take up and then that's why you have low oxygen. So in the upper swan, we pump oxygen into the river, pure oxygen, really? to keep it healthy. Yeah, There's three oxygen plants along the river where no. we take water from the river, runs it through an oxygen system, pure oxygen, and then pump it back. Huh. Same in the canning. I didn't, I didn't know that. Is yeah. there good fishing around those bits and pieces? No, I mean, you don't still increase the uh, oxygen. It's just trying to make the system healthier and not have as many fish kills. But the fish kills doesn't happen because of a day-to-day -day system. As I said, you know, you might have to have uh, lots of different systems. You know, you have to have the system primed that it is likely to have a... But then the tipping point comes when you might have a rainfall event, you have high stratification, you have a big tide, uh, different tidal conditions. So all of those comes together, then you would yeah. actually have it. Yeah. So Durian Bay Boat Harbour has lots of fish kills. Yes. Yeah, that was a and that's, that's basically because seagrass rack gets into there and rots. Seagrass rack. Seagrass, so dead seagrass, oh, what we call rack. You know, when yeah, you walk yeah. on the beach, you see the the brown seaweed, yes. so all yeah. of that basically accumulates and gets inside the harbour and they start rotting, it takes the oxygen out and when the conditions come in, boom, you have fish kill. Yeah. Oh. So fish kills happen yeah. is, a, is a symptom of a system which may be in bad but it only happens when you have lots of things come together. So can the low oxygen yeah. water can be there all the time. Yeah, yeah, and you also remember that the sh the fish can swim away. Yes, 
So you have to have a system where things are changing that prevents the, the fish being swimming away from the low oxygen area or they get trapped in an area where they can't get out. If, in that case, for a Coban sound, like there was, there was snapper that died and mm-hmm. all the, you know, quite large yep. um, you know, recreational fish that you know, uh, they could swim away. But why was there such a large... Was there, no, because you know, they couldn't, because they were trapped. In Coburn Sound? In, Coburn's, in one part of Coburn Sound. Okay. So they can't swim away because they're trapped. So everywhere they went, there was low oxygen. Okay, and then eventually... Yeah. Right. So, I mean, I don't know. I mean, do, do you know about the episode which happened about mid-90s? So you know the southern bluefin tuna where they, in Port Lincoln, they go and catch the juvenile uh, southern bluefin tuna and they put in cages and fatten them. Mm-hmm. So they fatten them using pilchards, but there isn't enough pilchards caught in Australia for them to be to feed them. So they import the pilchards from um, Peru and Chile. And then at that time, they brought this uh, imported fish and they had a herpes virus. So they fed the fish in, in Port Lincoln and that virus basically killed every single pilchard from Geraldton to Brisbane, all the way down the south. Oh, wow. That's a man-made, introduced yeah. system. That, that, that's, that's heavy. <laughs> Geraldton to <laughs> Brisbane. Yeah, south. South of Geraldton, south of Brisbane, all the way along the coast. There was every single, yeah, pilchards were all along the beach, dead. Wow. There was something like a... Only one species, because that virus only affected one species. Well, that's lucky, I suppose. Yeah. There's something with the prawns recently, like the white spot. Yeah, exactly. Prawns, and that happens with uh, mussels and pearls. Is that Uh, because... Abalone, all of these, which we are actually farming, they have problems. Is that because... The diseases is a different... Diseases go through the water very quickly. Yeah. So, yeah. is that because there's certain people not listening to the environment? Some, yeah, some of them can be preventable. Some of them are unpreventable. It's some of them that they, you know, part of it is that people, when you know, it's sort of human nature to a certain extent. If if I have a fish farm and I'm doing really well, and they look at, oh, maybe I should start that. They probably start, and they get permission to build theirs too close. Yeah. So if one affected the other, then the whole bit dies. So it's it's more of a regulatory thing and, and a whole lot of different things. Hmm. Cool. Um, On to this building where we are mm-hmm. where we are now, because um, it's only been open since 2016. Yep. And it's a what, $63 million yep. building. What research is going on here right mm-hmm. at this moment? First of all, I should say that, do you know why, how, why this building is here? Because no. you? No. <laughs> well, not because of Global me. financial <laughs> crisis. Oh, really? Yep. Sorry, because Global of financial juice. crisis. How so? How does that work? Yeah. What happened in the global financial crisis? Everything yeah. went the down. Dropped. Yeah. And yeah. then Kevin Rudd had a stimulation package to make lots of buildings around Australia. So virtually every school got a new building. Virtually every university got a new building. And this is, this is the result of that. This is the new building. Yep. For UWA. So thank oh, wow. you, thank you, Kevin. Thank you, Kevin. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 
Yeah. And what research is going on here at the moment? That's what. Oh, so a lot, this building um, houses about 300 marine scientists. Whoa. Yeah. So, uh, everything. Everything. With the ocean. What are you? So, we have, so there's five flows in this building. Uh, three by UWA, and then one for the Australian Institute of Marine Science, Ames, and one flow for CSRO. So, uh, combined, there is 300. So we actually have uh, everything from engineering to economics to law. Right. So, so that's, that's it's, a very it's large. A, it's, it's, yeah. yeah, that's what I'm saying. It's everything yeah, yeah. to do with the ocean. To, uh, so the science of physics, chemistry, biology, ecology, uh, and then engineering. So foundation systems to wave power, uh, autonomous vehicles, remote sensing, you name it, we do it. Yes, yeah, well, that's, I suppose that's covering all bases. Every, yeah, is there, <coughs> is there any, because last time I spoke to you, it was on the phone, and you, you were off to Chile. Yep. Was that a holiday, or was that a... Um, uh, that was a, it was called a... Uh, Festival of Youth. It was not a oceanography conference. It was uh, okay. it was basically promoting kids, but also that was for Latin oh, American. Right? Yeah. So it's basically promoting science to kids. So I mean, I was an oceanographer. There was an astronaut, and there's doctors and oh, cool. various oh, wow. people. Awesome. Actually, yes. everything was in Spanish. So all my talks were translated. And oh, okay. Yeah. You don't speak Spanish? Only <laughs> El Nino. El Nino. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, awesome. Well, thank you very much for right. coming to speak to us today. Okay. And, um, no problem. Yeah. Do you think maybe because um, this is for us, we're gonna we're gonna get the ball rolling with this and try and start getting you know trying to do you know one every three to four weeks or whatever. Do you think potentially you know maybe in a year or you know so it's time yeah. we could have another chat? You know, see where you're at. You know, yeah. to touch base. No problem. Cool, that'd be really cool. And maybe another time, we were chatting to the lady in the um, the front office downstairs, and mm -hmm. she said that you guys are putting on a big seminar. What, what was that? Uh, the seminar. I think there's they have a lot of talks, a lot of people from around the world presenting their yeah their research. Oh, well, I don't know. Oh, all right. <laughs> but, well, we'll forget about that then. So many things happen in this building. Yeah, yeah, I'll bet. This, oh, I'll yeah. bet. But um. Yeah, thank you very much. Uh, Appreciate it. Okay, no problem. Awesome, thank you very much. Thank you. Cheers. Thank you.